You know, I was looking this morning at that verse in Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and our children, so that we might do all the words of this book. And he goes on through the whole scriptures in the Old Testament to lead people to understand that he has secrets, but he doesn't just leave them laying around. Who do you reveal your secrets to? It's not the casual person you meet. Uh, it's, it's the secret things of God that change a person's life, and they're never discovered. You will never discover them. They are revealed to your heart by God. And he does it when a heart is in a position before him of sensing need and longing for change and to know the living God. And that is when God reveals himself, and I trust this morning that he will encourage you. So much has happened in the world and in our nation and in our churches in this country. A third of the churches in America are struggling to reopen after so much has gone on. But there is a remnant. There are those who are listening, and I know that you all are some of those people, and I want to encourage you to press in because there are amazing days ahead as we move forward, approaching the coming of the Lord. You know, in countries like Fiji and other islands and jungles, they're talking about the great king coming back. They can sense it. There's a rumor from the Lord, and there's not just a rumor. It's, it's like a center stage, I'm coming, I'm coming. Well, let me pray, and I want you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart uh, through his word. And let me just say that God wants you to know his secrets. He wants you to know what he wants you to be. He, he doesn't want to make it a dead struggle. He wants you to joyously move forward and press in to all that he is. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bow before you, and I would ask that you will show us this day again, remind us that you're a covenant-keeping God. Once you have sworn by your own self and your holiness, you will never break your covenant. You will never change your mind. By an oath, by blood, by your character, you stand behind your word. So may we not be afraid to embrace your word because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as we begin to see who you are and our hearts tremble as we realize who we are apart from you, may it be that we fall before you in surrender and trust and love and dare to believe that you are who you say and you will do in us and through us what you have promised as we trust you. We pray this for this morning's word that you'll bring it in power to our hearts. Write it with your fiery finger upon the tables of our heart so that we will have it as you've promised written in our mind and in our heart and that you will be our God and we will be your people and we will know you from the, uh, the smartest to the least intelligent, from the uh, dumbest to the biggest, to whatever it is, that we'll come to know you and our sins and our iniquities, you will remember no more. Oh, may this be so in our midst and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this morning uh, I want to talk to you about God's blood covenant. We were in Salem. Uh, we went up to Salem, Massachusetts, and looked out that harbor, and I thought back to the story of a 
gentleman who lived up in New York City. This was years ago before jets and that, but he lived in New York City, and he'd come from the old country. I don't really know where this old country was when I heard this story, but he, he saved, he wanted to go back and visit before he died. He knew that his life was coming to uh, the end, and so he had saved and saved and saved his money in order to buy a passage on one of those big ocean liners to go back, I think it was to England. And so finally the day came, and he's very poor, so he packed a little sack with cheese and crackers and other things to keep him alive on this journey that was much longer then than it is now, maybe several weeks. But he, he was on this boat, and he got on, and he went to his little cabin, and as he was there on the cabin, he would, he would go for walks. And he, as he, he was so excited to go back to the place where he'd come from, and, uh, but he looked at through the windows, and he saw these people in there in this stateroom, and they were around a big fountain of, like, drink, and they saw they saw vegetables and all these meals, ice statues of beautiful things. And he'd look in there, and his he'd begin to drool. He was so hungry. But he then said, well, and he went back to his cabin, and he got out his cheese and crackers. And this went on for days and days. He would walk and look in and see all these wonderful things, the desserts and all the things that we would love to eat too. But then he went back to his place and just stayed in his cabin and had his cheese and crackers. Well, he, they finally arrived over in London area. And as they were all disembarking, he was walking off the boat. And the captain called him by name and said, oh, it's good to see you're here getting off with us. Uh, we've missed you. Where have you been? We haven't seen you at any of the meals. And the old man looked at him and said, Well, all I could afford was just the ticket. You see, uh, I, I didn't have the right to come in there and eat meals with you. I just had the ticket. And the captain got this extremely painful look on his face as he looked at the man and said, I am so sorry. Didn't someone tell you? that the meals were included in the price of the ticket. You see, that's how we are so often with our Christian lives. We look and see people walking with God like we saw the giants of history uh, on our trip this last weekend. And we say, we want to be like that. And we, it's delicious to us to think. But then we go back to our own experience and live off cheese and crackers in a figure speaking. And maybe you're here and you know people that are they're having the Lord's just fellowship. But then you say, well, it could never be like that for me. You don't see what was paid for in the price of the blood, and we never take advantage of what has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And he wants us. He wants us to come and dine, the master calleth. He wants you to know him in power and in beauty. Well, the scripture I want to take you to today is in Psalm 25, and this whole psalm is a cry out to God for this very thing. I want to know you. I want to know your ways. Teach me your way. Lead me in your truth. And then it comes to God's secret to all of that. He, uh, he says in verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Do you see that word covenant? For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it's great. What man is the one who fears the Lord? This is the one that God will teach the way that he will choose. His soul will dwell at ease, and his seed, there it is again, his children shall inherit the earth. And here's the verse. 
The secret of the Lord is with them. And the Hebrew means reserved for them. And the word secret means intimate counsel. It's saying the intimate counsel of the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. That word fear is not like a slavish fear you're going to get slapped. It is an awe and an and a amazement and a reverence and a knowing that God is who He says. There's, it's a growing understanding that causes you to tremble of who God is. The secret of the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. You won't have to discover it. You won't have to go begging and looking in endless hours of search that's vain. You need to fear the Lord and love Him and trust Him, and He will open to you the Scriptures. And then he says, His eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. You ever feel like your feet are in a net? You ever feel like you're getting tangled so easily in what's going on around you? God says, I'll pluck your feet out of that, and I'll show you and give you what you need. Well, there's another verse I want to read you about covenant in the same way in Psalm 111. It says in verse uh, 5, He's given meat to those who fear Him. He will always be mindful of His covenant. This is what God says in, in another place. He says, I will never break my covenant. I will keep my covenant. And once I've said it by my oath, it will happen. Uh, he has showed His people the power of His works. And then verse 9 in Psalm 111, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverent is His name. We just sang about that. Well, that intimate counsel, that personal communion, that, that understanding of who He is is reserved for those who will treat it with respect, who really want to know, who love God in their understanding that they have simple but true. You may not even know Him at all, but you, you have a fear. You want to know. You know God is who He says, and maybe you do know Him, and you're longing for more. It's all the same to those who fear Him. But see, to understand the covenant is essential to really understand the whole Bible, to understand what it means to be a Christian and to know His salvation. It's the key, one of the main keys in the Scriptures. And once you discover, well, Israel, for example, forgot the covenant. You see it over and over. They forgot His covenant and began to get under that law that we were talking about, trying to produce from their own behavior and sincerity what only God can do in you if you let Him. And so they had to be reminded the prophets would come and he would hew them with the prophets and they would preach and they would say to return to the Lord like we sang this morning. And time and time again this happened and so God uh, brought them back. The church of the 20th century has forgotten what it means to live in covenant. As far as you go anywhere in the world, anthropology and history will show you. When I go into a country, I always look for the echoes of what used to be understood. You will find whether it's in the jungle or whether it's in the inner city or whether it's on the plains of the Navajo out in the middle of our country, you will find uh, echoes of people who once understood years ago what covenant, how sacred it really was. Now, it may have gotten corrupted and changed some as it went from country to country, but it shows a common origin, and it all goes back to the covenant-keeping God that He is. There are a lot of covenants in Scripture. There's like Eden and Mosaic and Phineas. There's just a lot of them. But 
all of them are a foreshadow and a, and a, you might say, a parenthesis of what is the big one in the Scripture, the everlasting covenant, a covenant within the Godhead. Before the foundation of the world, when the Father and the Son and the Spirit swore by their own existence that this word, this covenant, this plan, this holy business would come to pass as God has said it. And it's available for those who want to trust Him. So it's possible to experience God's blessings to a great degree and not really understand. Just like the old man on the boat, he went on the voyage, but he didn't enjoy the journey. It's possible for you to come and sit and soak in church and to be around other people and to admire what they're doing and to be supportive without the inner witness and happiness and joy of it. I'm telling you, you look around, and uh, as Corey Ten Boom used to say, look around and be distressed. Look within, get depressed. But if you'll look to Jesus, you'll find rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, learn about me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you, and I, I will, you'll find a rest to your soul. Well, the whole Bible is a revelation of covenant. The more you read it with understanding, like what we're going to talk about, you'll see it, and you'll say, so that's what that means. I've been wondering about that. Every promise in this book is a covenant promise. Every prayer that's answered in Jesus' name is a covenant prayer. Every relationship you have in the Scriptures uh, is a covenant relationship. Your salvation is a covenant salvation, and it's based on it when you uh, understand. It pervades the Scripture. Now, let me just give you a quick background on where covenant really came from, and it's not just knowledge that we're after here today. It's revelation. So, you set your heart, open it to Him, and listen for the the heartbeat of God, because God's secret must be whispered from the secret place of the Most High, from His throne, and He will let you know His covenant. Why? Because He wants you to. He wants to know you and walk with you. Maybe today's a time to sling off, we'll see, the old and take the new. God must reveal it. But once He does, your Bible will sing songs to you. Your relationships will mean more to you. Your privilege to share Jesus will burn in your heart, and you'll begin to say, Lord, this is what I want. You see, union is the essence of covenant. When two become one, it's when uh, God brings together what has been separate and makes it one. Now, now, in the world, they have covenants like business contracts, or we have marriage. That's the closest thing that we know, especially in the Western world. We don't understand covenant like maybe some of the East or even in China. They know what it means because it goes back centuries and thousands of years to where man would uh, cut their wrist or cut their finger or or make slashes on their face and swear by blood to one another. See, it's all an echo and maybe even a change and a perversion that man has made of the original plan of God. And I'm going to show you his plan. Union is the essence. When uh, the word covenant comes it's 300 times in the Old Testament, it's barith. B-E-R-I-T-H, and it means, it's a mysterious word, it means to cut, like with the shedding of blood, but it also in a mysterious way means to like bind together, suggesting like a branch in a vine that's cut but bound, soldered, brought back in, and, and you see the life becoming one. So when you enter the covenant in the Scriptures, it's actually said, when it says they made a covenant, the Hebrew will say karat, which is cut a covenant, which is to verify what I am telling you. It's an endless partnership that God gives that uh, can't be broken or 
like even a man's covenant, is a permanent bond that has to be honored. Uh, you can go to Africa, and you can see them giving a spear or something to one another to honor this, and they will seal their life with this oath that they've made one to another. But covenant in the Scripture is more sacred than my life. All over the world, it's done, and you can trace it back to a common source. It may have gotten changed, and maybe you may misunderstand it because someone doesn't understand what they're doing, but it's still practice. In fact, we do emblems of it in our own life when we raise our hands in the courtroom and swear, or, or when we shake hands, or when we uh, go to a wedding and you see a bride and groom put their arms interlocked and jam cake into each other's mouth, or drink from a common cup, or raise a toast, or say, I swear to God. God or over my dead body. All of that goes way back to the original thing that God wanted man to understand. But man, as he always does, changes it and it gets corrupted. Let me show you what the Hebrew meant when he meant covenant from ancient Semitic writings, Semitic writings and from other things. This is the way we would cut covenant if uh, Dave LeBlanc and I were two Hebrew men and we were going to, I always say LeBlanc or LeBlanc, I say it French, he says it, I'll, I'll say it your way, LeBlanc. Uh, he's not shooting blanks, I'll tell you that. He's, his gospel gun is loaded. But if you and I were going to enter covenant, here's the way we would do it if we were Jews. I would check you out before I entered covenant with you. I'd make sure you're the kind of person I wanted to be in covenant with and could be, just like you're supposed to check out a mate before you marry him. But this is, this is more serious than, than even that in a certain sense because, you see, we would come together with witnesses and, and, we, would, uh, we, would come, and we would have our stuff with us in a field that's open and people would watch and I would take off my coat and give it to him and he would take off his coat there's an exchange here he would put his coat on me and I would put my coat on him and it would be a symbol of all that I have is yours and what I what belongs to me is now at your disposal even my house and everything because I'm committed to you this way and then that would be my belt I would give him my belt and he would give me his now in the old days a man would put his weapons on his belt and it would hold his armor on so the wep the, the belt stood for the strength of a man it's supposed to be your strongest muscle it's supposed to be but uh but it, it would say all my my strengths are at your disposal. Dave, if you need to dig a ditch, call me up. I'll help you. And, and uh, we share the same strength. All of me belongs to you. My energy is at yours. And on my belt is my sword or my bow or my weapon. Your enemies are becoming my enemies, and my enemies are becoming your enemies. And when they've, they may not see me, but if they raise a sword against you, I'll be there. I'll fight with you, and I'll stand with you. Uh, I'll, if they attack you, they attack me. And in those three things, would, as you'll see in the Scripture in a moment, would, would symbol all my time, all my talent, all my ambition is now, we've been, as the Scripture uses the word, knitted together. We become one. Independence becomes interdependence, and we become joined. You see, now to seal this visibly and show it, we would then take an animal as a sacrifice to God. This is what God did with Abram in Genesis 15 when he took a bullock and goats and he, he cut them and he offered them as a sacrifice to the Lord, cut them in half. Remember, you read in Genesis 15. And then God put Abram into a deep sleep and all he could do was be an observer. That's what we are when it comes to the real covenant. God does it all. But 
Walking a sacred figure eight, we would walk, or if Dave and I were entering this, we'd make a sacrifice to the Lord, and we would stand facing each other. We would walk the sacred way of blood, the blood gauntlet, as they called it. And we would say these words, may the Lord require it of Dave's enemies if I break this covenant. Do this and so to me and more if I break what's happening here today. And so as we did that, you see them doing this in Jeremiah when they were trying to get God to deliver them in Jerusalem in chapter 34 of Jeremiah. All through the Scriptures you see these emblems taking place, name changes, as we're going to see. As we walk this sacred figure eight, the bloody path, we would stand facing each other, and I would cut my wrist or other place, if I, if maybe my cheeks, but, but with the arm of my strength, I would raise to heaven with blood flowing down, and I would swear myself away to him by him who lives forever and ever, like the angel in Revelation, when he puts his land on the, foot on the sea and the land, and he raises his hand, time shall tarry no more. And so I would swear myself away to him, and he would swear himself away to me, and we would then shake hands, strike the hands, and these two blood Things would mingle, and we would become brothers, blood brothers at that time. And it, uh, it's a special thing. It, it's, uh, we still even do these things. We don't understand why. We don't understand what's the outcome of it. And I'm sure it doesn't have the power to us. But in this cut would be put powder or salt or something that would leave a permanent mark, and it would be a, a seal or a covenant mark, an impression, so that when I saw that, it would say, there's another half of me. I cannot live in my own life, but in respect, in respect of the covenant, and we must walk together. It's a mark of ownership. It's what Paul meant when he says, I bear in my body the stigmata, the marks of Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm a covenant man. I've, I've been bought with blood. So I would announce to him, bless you. When, you. when you keep this covenant, may your car tires never pop. May your crops grow. May your kids bless you. But if you break this, may your teeth rot out. May your wife nag you day and night. May your kids be rebellious. And re It was called the blessings and the cursings. And God did it with the whole nation in Deuteronomy 28. If you keep this covenant, and he gives this long list of blessings. He says, if you don't, I'm going to turn the sky to brass. It's not going to rain on you. You're going to see all these negative things happening to you. Then Dave and I would sit down and have a covenant meal like Jacob and Laban went to the top of that pile of rocks. They sat as a memorial. And they had a meal. Or I, then I might give him a flock of goats that would be this. When you see these, it's, it's a gift and vice versa. There'd be a, a well dug, perhaps. That's what Beersheba is in the Scripture. It's the well of the oath in Genesis 21. It's, and every time I drank from it, it would say, there's another part of me. So one, we would have bread and wine. You go to Arab countries today and you, you have a meal and have salt together. They understand covenant. Maybe on their own terms, but I'm telling you, it all goes back to what God wanted us to understand. When he cut covenant, as you'll see in just a moment, Jesus did this for me and you. He did this for me and you. God himself has cut a covenant in the blood of his own son and used many of these foreshadowings of what he actually did on the cross. And you will see in a moment, you see. But, but with Dave and I, we would, we would maybe dig a well or we'd uh, build a house or give a flock of goats. And we would then, from that day on, we would be known as friends. That's a covenant term in Scripture. When Jesus said, you're my friends, you manifest yourself to be my friends if this is happening here.
He's talking about covenant there. It's in the chapter with the branch and the vine that are plugged together. That's what he's talking about. And there'd be an obligated attitude, the Hebrew word that he and I must have toward each other. It's called chesed. You have to go chesed. And it's used, it actually means, it's translated loving kindness or grace or mercy. It's translated different ways, but it means the attitude that I must have whether I feel like it or not. It's a sacred obligation because I've sworn myself away to you by blood as I've walked this bloody path and I've sworn by him who lives forever and ever and we've shaken hands. Our bloods have mingled and now I belong to you. It's sacred and a friend keeps the blood covenant guarantees. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on to an example of this in Scripture because I want you to see how vivid this is, how God wants you to understand this. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David comes down to give his brothers something there, the Philistines have come out. There's a big 666 man, Goliath. He's out there mocking all the armies of heaven. And he says, send a man to fight me. Nobody can stand against me. I'm, I'm Goliath. So David uh, was there, and he'd come down, and he heard them being mocked, and he said, why doesn't someone take this man's head off? He was the only person, perhaps, in all of Israel that understood covenant. You see him writing earlier about covenant in the Psalms when he was a younger man. So he comes out, he, Saul tries to give him the world's armor. He says, no, I'll take five smooth stones. You know why he took five? Because Goliath had four brothers. And he runs, he runs out there to meet Goliath, and Goliath says, Ha, you send a boy to fight me. I'm going to make you bird seed today. And David says, This battle's not ours. It's the Lord's. And you come to me with a spear and a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the living God, whose armies you're insulting, and I will take your head off today. And indeed, he slung that rock and... Such a thing had never entered Goliath's mind before as he fell headlong and he cut off his head. And Saul and everyone are totally amazed. They take David back to the palace. And the women, as they come into town, are saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David tens of thousands. And, uh, and they're nervous about that. Saul is nervous about that. But in the process of all of that, it says that Jonathan, the son of Saul, who's the prince in line for the throne, he sees David and he says, I love this guy. And they get together, and in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, It came to pass when, Saul had made an end, when David had made an end of speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knitted with the soul of David. There's that word knitted. And he loved him as he loved his own soul. And Saul took him that day and wouldn't let David go anymore, return to his father's house. And it says these words, Jonathan and David cut a covenant. And because he loved him as his own soul, Jonathan took off his robe or his coat and gave it to David and his garment, his sword and his bow and his belt. And they entered a covenant that day. You'll see them ratifying this covenant as Saul begins to be jealous of David and throws a javelin at him and chases him out. And so Jonathan and, and uh, David meet out in the field. And you'll see in chapter 20, they meet again and they say, we've been brought into a covenant of the Lord together. And Jonathan and David say, uh, Jonathan actually says to David, when all your enemies are put down and one day you're king, because he knew David would be, he says, then remember the kindness of God to my family. 
Because the covenant could go to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It could go to my offspring. They had a right to, to say yes to it. So you see them ratifying this covenant, and you see Saul's hatred growing more and more. He's chasing David. David has sworn himself to allegiance to Jonathan and vice versa, and you'll see them as they go forward. In the meantime, as all this is happening, Saul is chasing David. Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. His name means despised thing or baser thing. He's, he's just a little guy. He's, he's born into the house of Jonathan, and he would be king one day, actually, uh, later, because he was the prince. So as Saul begins to hate David and chase him, he lies to all the palace and says, David is out to get us. David's fleeing like a partridge in the mountains, it says, out in the wilderness of sin. And uh, the name just, that's the geographical name. And so David won't kill Saul. Oh, he had several opportunities, but Saul is after David, and you see him want to kill him. Everybody hates David or thinks he'll kill them, all except for one person in the house of Saul. You know who it is? Jonathan, the beloved son. That's what it means, the grace gifted son. Jonathan is the name. And I love this story. We named our firstborn son Jonathan David for this very story because it shows the covenant of God as you will see. So Saul is obsessed and he chases David and he's suddenly as he's just about to kill David, get him and capture him, the Philistines invade and they come to what's Armageddon today or Jezreel up there. And so Saul must leave off chasing and he runs to defend his country and there at Estraldon, that valley Jezreel, Saul and his sons are all killed. They all die. And it's a terrible situation. Well, news of the death of King Saul and Jonathan comes back to the palace. And as it comes to the palace, they suddenly say, now David will get us. And there was a panic and an evacuation. Everything Saul said will come to pass. And so you, you read these words nestled in into the scriptures, what happens in the palace when there's an alarming awareness that their lives are in danger. It says here, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, had, had a son that was lame on his feet, because here's how it happens. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan's death out of Jezreel. So his nurse lifted up Mephibosheth and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and he became lame. Do you see the picture? Here is one born for royalty, but he's crippled for his life through a fall. He can't operate unless he knows he has to operate and be like he has to be. So he takes the, his, the aides of the now dead King Saul, take Mephibosheth out to a place called Lodibar. Lo means not, and Debar means word or bread. It's a place of nothing. It's out in the wilderness. It's desert. B.O. and needing a bath and needing fruit, you name it, surrounded by wretched people saying, hate David, hate David. You can't wait to take your throne from him. And uh, so you're surrounded by all these people. You're five years old. Now, what happens is while he's out there, David spends seven and a half years in Hebron. Then he takes Jerusalem, and he names it Jerusalem, and he puts down all his enemies. And uh, so over this period of time, you see, Mephibosheth grows up. He's about 21 years old when our story comes to its pinnacle right here. All the time that Mephibosheth is out on that wilderness, dreaming for the day that he can come and take his throne from David, he's been robbed. He Get this. Born to be in covenant with David through Jonathan. But he's living 
surrounded by people that don't understand, and he's hating the faceless king that he was actually born to be in covenant with. It's his whole life, but he doesn't even know it. And he's in a self-imposed exile. Does this sound familiar? It does to me. It's the way I grew up. I grew up in Lodibar. There was no word. All I heard was from people that just made their own excuses, and I believed all that stuff. I'm not blaming them. I'm blaming me for believing it, and, and I, I was hating, and I was living in fear and hatred, ignorant of the truth. Well, these Mephibosheth's about 21 years old, and you see David, when there's peace in the land, just like he swore to Jonathan he would do, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to follow this, you might want to, 2 Samuel chapter 9, y'all still bring your Bible here? David said, is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul, get this, that I may show him chesed, kindness, covenant attitude, because of Jonathan? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they'd called him to David, King David said to him, are you Ziba? And he says, yes, I am. And the king said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show, here's this phrase, the kindness of God. The, the covenant attitude, the loving kindness of God to him. And Ziba said, yes, Jonathan has a son, and he's lame on his feet. And the king said, oh, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Meshir, son of Amiel, and in Lodibar. And so then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Meshir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. You can imagine how this is when you're out there in the wilderness and all of a sudden these chariots surround you. Mephibosheth, imagine how he felt. This is it. He's got me. I deserve to be judged. My life is over. My dreams are dead. There's no hope for me. So he sent and got him, and you can imagine they brought him in before the king. And in verse 6 it says, Now when Mephibosheth, see Mephibosheth means despised thing. Amazing. When Mephibosheth, uh, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came into David, he fell on his face, and he did reverence. He was petrified. He thought it was off with his head. And David said, instead of take him away and kill him, he says, Mephibosheth. He calls him by name, expecting death. He hears Mephibosheth, and he says, Behold, your servant, Mephibosheth, is humbled and low down before David. And David says to Mephibosheth, Fear not, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I'm going to show you covenant attitude because of the gracious son that I'm in blood covenant with, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, that you thought you'd lost. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. That's the word for the bread of the tabernacle that's before the face of God always. Continual bread. It's when we take the Lord's Supper and we, we take that together, the body and the blood. It's a picture of that covenant meal that we had together when and we would seal this covenant together. And so David says, I have an obligation to show loving kindness. It's the kindness of God. And Mephibosheth hears this love and mercy. Uh, and so Mephibosheth can't believe his ears, but there must be a mistake. Don't you know I've been trying to kill you or want to kill you? And David said, there's more than this if you keep reading. You're going to be an heir to me. I'm going to cause you to eat at my table all the time. And I'm going to treat you just like your Jonathan. You're going to be, to me, like one of the king's sons. You're going to be just like your Jonathan. And when, when Mephibosheth realizes that he's been believing a lie 
all these years. What I believed about the king is not true. What I thought about God is not true. I thought he was going to make me marry the person I hate the most and, 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 and eat beans, nothing else, or maybe not at all, and move to the worst place on earth and live there as a kind of a person trying really hard to kill himself for something he doesn't really believe. So I don't want to be around him. See, I felt threatened, and so did Mephibosheth. But when God surrounds him with his chariot and brings him face to face with the king and he realizes his life is over, you see, Mephibosheth has to die. He has to die. Uh, he, he has to come and say, uh, this, this, this is something I've got to choose. You see, it's not, it's not just enter in by blessing. It's enter the covenant that was cut in His name before He was even born. I have to die to my life in Lodibar. I have to die to all the lies I've believed about King David. And I have to rise up and move in where David is in the palace and be the friend of the king. He had to die. Well, it didn't seem like much of a choice at that time, did it? But he said, yes. And you can imagine they took Mephibosheth up to a room. They gave him a bath, I'm sure. And he's there. And he said, yes. And everything changed. Everything became new. Suddenly now, instead of a goat, scare, goat skin tent, he's living in a room. And they've got a rope you pull. And servants come in. There's, there's, there's uh, fruit over there. And there's somebody of a harp over there playing psalms about God that David wrote. And there's marble floors. And there's... I smell cinnamon and aloes and all these beautiful fragrances. Beats the perspiration of those desert buddies who were sitting around all day just drinking together. Can you imagine yesterday a rebel in the wilderness and today now come and dine, the master calleth. And they bring Mephibosheth down to the table and he's, he's a lame on his feet. And they put his feet under the table. You can't see his lameness. And he's sitting around the table in fellowship with the king's sons. And he's treating him just like he is Jonathan, uh, I don't understand this, Mephibosheth must say. I've spent my life in rebellion against this king, and he's treating me like this. Just then he reaches out, David, and Mephibosheth sees the mark on David's wrist. And he says, that's it. It's because that scar, that scar there, it means that I'm in blood covenant. He's offering me the blessing that Jonathan entered into. Do you see the parallel? All of us are like in in. Adam's race. We're like Saul's family. In Saul's family, there was no one that could enter covenant with David except for one, Jonathan, the beloved son. And in Adam's race, there's no one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's, but, he's to, but there's one in Adam's race who's different. He's totally of Adam's race. He's man. He's Emmanuel. God with us in Him, the Son of Man. But there's one that's different, and that's Jesus. He's bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He's the only valid man who could enter covenant with God. He never stopped being God when He became a man. He emptied Himself of the, of the outer stuff, but He was always God on the inside. And here's a good word to remember. The Jonathan of the human race was Jesus. And when He entered covenant, He came and when you see this, it puts his whole ministry as Father's business. It puts it all in a whole new light. Everything he did moved toward that moment that he set his face like a flint. When he would walk up Calvary's hill and at that cross, he would seal in his own blood a covenant that had been planned and engineered and purposed. When a representative man entered a solemn covenant with Almighty Father himself, unveiling the plan of the ages for you, for me. 
walking up Calvary's mountain. He was a man worth every other man because it was God in the flesh. But he was a valid true man who could stand for all the fallen sinners on the earth. And that's why he died, to cut a covenant with Almighty God the Father. He didn't just die in history so you could believe some facts about he loved you so much. He couldn't live without you. Couldn't live without you. It's not that at all. That's cheese and crackers. That's not what he wants for you. He explained it. Take this is my body broken for you. This is the new covenant shed for you in my blood. Drink all of it, you see. I'm going to cut a covenant with you tomorrow, he's saying to his own disciples. And I'm using my own body and I'm using my own blood to open the door to the throne room of heaven where you can walk through that. Sub he didn't bring a substitute animal to cut in half. He brought his own body, it says, sacrifice and offering you did not want, but a body you've prepared for me. So when he came to that cross and the moment he died, the veil in the temple was split where? Right down the middle. It was showing that, that, that right when Jesus died, his body was that veil, it says in Hebrews 10, that you can walk those pieces, that sacred eternal figure eight around it by faith. And he cries out, it is finished, but it means paid in full. That's what it says. The, the, the curse of the Old Testament paid. The promise of the New Testament fulfilled. All brought together in the cross where eternity and time meet together and where uh, the invisible Kisses the invisible. You see, he not only died for us, but he get this, he died as us. Just as Mephibosheth was in Jonathan, yet unborn, it's a principle in Scripture, so were you and I in the mind and heart of God in Christ before the foundation of the world. If we come to Calvary, what he did, we did too. Also, we, he entered as our substitute. And when he rose from the dead after he was crucified, and buried. He was the living memorial tree. He was the well that was opened. He was the tree of life. He was all those things. And he took the throne of the universe and sprinkled his own blood from Calvary on it and sat down waiting for you to say yes. But see, that doesn't just happen automatically. Look, remember how his visage, it says, his face was marred more than any man? I mean, and he had wounds on his back and wounds everywhere from being whipped and uh, just terrible. Why did he keep those marks when he was raised from the dead? Why did he? Well, Isaiah 49 says, can a mother forget her sucking child and not have pity or mercy? The answer is yes, she can. But he says, can a woman forget the child of her youth? And Yes, she can. But I cannot forget you, Israel. I have etched you on the palms of my hands. I've inscribed you. In Zechariah chapter 13, when uh, it's quoted in three Gospels when Jesus is arrested. It says, and it'll come to pass in that day that someone will ask you, talking to the Messiah, what are these wounds, these marks in the palms of your hands? And he will say, these are those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Next verse said, smite, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Smite the man who is my fellow. Uh, and gee, that's quoted when Jesus is arrested. Awaking the sword of God's wrath and vengeance upon he who knew no sin that would become sin for you and me so that he could establish an eternal covenant with Almighty God. It, Jesus becomes the living guarantee of the blood covenant. You see, you see in Revelation, John looking, and he says, I look and I beheld, lo, a lamb with the scars, the marks of death. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour out effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Don't let that blood-bought ransom sinner 
die. Well, this is like you and me. I'm just finishing with this. I, I think I still have time. I'm going I'm to finish. If you never have me back, uh, you see, I'm like Mephibosheth. When I grew up, I was in a town, not exactly, but in attitude like Brattleboro or some other town that maybe doesn't have room in all their mannishness, their humanism, they're, they're just like so in their own area. Everybody's like that. They don't want God around because He threatens them. They know that they're accountable and they don't want to face that. I didn't know that my heavenly Jonathan, the Lord Jesus, had entered into blood covenant with the Father it, that was available for me before I was even born. There was bloodshed on earth and taken to heaven and sprinkled on the mercy seat that I could honor and, and, and enter in. So when I was born, I was injured through a fall. I, I knew I was born for more than this, but I felt lame. Did you ever feel that way? I can't do what I know I must do. And so uh, I, I remember I had the same attitude about God that Mephibosheth had. If he ever really got me, I deserve, well, I deserve the worst. And so I just raised hell and just tried to do my own thing. And so... God sent the Holy Ghost and surrounded me in my Lodibar. And he brought me face to face with the claims of the gospel, like he has some of you. You've heard it. And you've made a casual response, a few of you. I'm not, I have anybody in mind, I promise you. But this is human nature. I've learned it in countries. There are plenty of people who sit in church who know they're not right with God. You have things going on here in Brattleboro, um, um, churches that aren't right with God. All across our country, there are people that sit in church who aren't right with God. They don't understand the covenant or the sacredness of it, you see. But my friends surround me, so I get comfort. But you see, I was frightened. And I remember when God brought me before himself, the Holy Spirit uh, brought me to the, I heard this gospel message, and I said, that's it. It's, I'm, I'm toast, man. I'm history. I deserve that. And instead I heard, Al, at last you've come. I'm going to bless you with all blessings in the heavenly places. I'm going to restore to you what you never had, the joy of the Lord. And I'm going to give you strength. And you're going to be to me as if you're Jesus because you're going to be in him. You're going to be in the Lamb of God. I'm going to bless you with all spiritual blessings. I'm going to give you righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, as the New Testament says. But God, I've been rebellious. Don't you have me confused with the missionary kid? No, this is not because what you've done or what you haven't done. This is because of a covenant that was cut for you in blood and sealed with an oath. And today, guarded over by the risen Son of God. Once he was Emmanuel, God with us. Now he's man with God. He's the Son of Man on the throne of the universe. And he ever lives to pray for you. And I want to give you this. I want you to sit at my table. I want to serve you the Lord's Supper. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. I know who you are, Al. This is not because of what you've done or haven't done. This is because of the blood of Jesus who cut a covenant on your behalf. I'm going to make you a joint heir with Christ, and you're going to be to me as if you were Jesus, and you'll feast continually at my table, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his loving kindness, he saved us. You all tired yet? Because it gets good right here. You can know all that. But just like Mephibosheth, you have a choice to make to enter this, to get off cheese and crackers and to acknowledge and to receive it. You see, I've got to die to my personal independence. I've got to deal with where I've been. And Lodibar, no word. I've got, to, I've got to realize I believe lies about Jesus my whole life. I even took it in college, but it wasn't the truth that I heard. And I've got to... I've, I've got to move in with Jesus. I've got to be his friends and seek to honor him and change my mind about him and live in that. Well, I said yes.
rise up and become the friend of Jesus. And that's what he offers to every single person that dares to say, I'm a Christian. It's not believing historic facts, then trying to reform your own life. It's not just living on cheese and crackers while everybody else is enjoying the real food from heaven. It's a matter of surrender. And you see, my time, I, he takes off his coat, his righteousness, and he puts it on you. And you put yours on him at the cross. And he's crucified because of my sin, my, my uncleanness that he put on. He gives me his belt. That's the strength of God. I give him mine. And he's crucified through weakness. He gives me his weapon. That's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And all the cursing of man and all the blasphemy came on him at Calvary. Do you remember that? He took it all on himself. And so God did that. And he made, gave me a circumcised heart. He caused me to come. And he puts the seal of the Holy Spirit as the mark on the inside. And the memorial is a changed life. It's just a perfect picture. Again, God's loving kindness became a person, you see. He comes to you and he says, today, if you will, listen to his voice and enter into all the fullness of it. Says, now uh, you're sealed. And Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not me anymore. I've quit trying on a human level. Now I'm trusting on a God-given level. Uh, it's no longer I, but now it's me yielding to what God wants to do in me. That'll change your Christian experience to singing from sighing. It'll take you from trying to trusting. It'll take you into a glorious new place. And God wants to do that today. In these days ahead, these are the only people that will stand. People are going to be falling away. Don't be tricked about this. That day will not come except there come a great falling away first. It's going to happen. But at the same time, a great harvest is going to happen with words like we're talking about now and people understanding, and they're going to come in. The gospel is going to be preached to the, in power by you, you and me. One-on-one, one-on-ten, in prison, whatever it is, or in churches, it's going to be powerful. Fishers of men, preachers of the righteousness of God. And there's going to be a huge harvest of people. You said, man, he's been in Lodibar. How'd he get in here? Well, you've been very patient. Can this possibly go away? Can a person like me live like this? How come I'm so happy? How come the joy of the Lord is my strength? I can't really figure it out. I can't hold out. I'm unworthy. Look at the marks. Look at the marks, devil. You've been accusing me. You go look at Jesus' wrists, and you go look at the holes in his feet and the scar in his side, and you ask him about blood covenant because it's his idea. I've said yes to him. So here it is, friends. God's loving kindness became a person. God so loved that he sent his only son. And once and for all, for every man, he went to that place of covenant. And he cut a covenant. And Father God, they swore before the oath, before earth. But it was sealed and confirmed in time. He says, I've sworn by my own holiness. And if I break what I do with David, then I'll... I swear by my own life, I'll put Jesus back in the ground. That ain't going to happen, friends. I've raised him from the dead, and I've changed your name. You're no longer Dave LeBlanc. You're Dave Whittinghill LeBlanc, and you're Al LeBlanc Whittinghill. And God says, name, your name's in my book. It's all through the Scriptures. So it is finished. My question to you is, do you dare to believe it? Or do you just want to go on? 
The Lord's asking me in these days, I've been traveling and preaching a long time, but I'll tell you what, I see a lot of areas in my life where I've been content with cheese and crackers. He says, oh, I've prepared a banqueting table for you, but it's in the presence of the things you hate, your enemies. But you trust me, and you're going to see new life. God has secrets. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I've hidden these things from wise and self-taught prudent, but to babies it's revealed to those who trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't figure it out on a mannish level. But in all your ways, let the power of his friendship and loving kindness saturate your being. And you will discover the path of the just gets brighter and brighter because God is in you working and willing his own pleasure. This is good news for bad people. It's bad news for good people who are good on their own. So I want to pray with you. In a moment, we're going to have that Lord's meal together, and as you do, as you partake of that, you know, it, it's the part of the covenant where we take the picture of His cross, and we take the blood that He shed, and we say, yes, Lord, inside, and our lives are hidden in the hollow of His wounds. So, how do you say yes to Him? It's easy. Yes, Lord. He wants to be king. So today, crown him afresh and dare to receive what you don't deserve, but what Jesus deserves. Lord, I don't want what I deserve. I want what Jesus deserves and what you've sworn with an oath by blood, seal, and written names in heaven. I want to experience that. Teach me how to get in the place where I can experience this day and night. And so you'll look at me, and you're not ashamed to call me a brother. Father, we bow before you now in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the attentiveness that I've sensed here. Lord, there's so much at stake. I sense for a couple of people in here, life and death may be at stake. I pray you'll give them the faith to respond to your come unto me. And that they will finally lay down Lodibar and lay down the wrong ideas they have been walking around and dare to become the friend of Jesus by the loving kindness of God and to walk in all your beauty and holiness. And we pray this in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.